Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Chun Jay of Royal Ruckus, also known as Jamie Bennett. And I have here a special guest with me tonight. We have Elisa. How do you say your last name? I always mess it up. Oh, Bielitich. You know how to say my name, don't you? No. No. That's okay. (laughs) I actually have good friends who can't. I have one of my absolute all-time closest friends um, calls me Alyssa Jalchek. And my name is Elisa Bielitich, and I, I'm okay with Elisa Jalchek. She's cool too, and it works out. <laughs> Got a beard in, it's looking something fierce. Having beers with my beers, and talking rap careers. Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears. Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears. I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas. I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers. Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain with people who learned how to face it and be sane. On a brew, doing interviews. No topics off the table, but we focus on breakthroughs. So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check. You're listening to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. One, two, one, two, and my checks don't bounce. Royal Ruckus on the scene, just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. One, two, one, two, and my checks don't bounce. Royal Ruckus on the scene, just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. Welcome to episode two of the second season of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, but Jamie is the name my mama gave me. Uh, today, we're going to be sitting down with my friend Elisa Bielitich. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you. She gets raw and real, and I think you're really going to... Appreciate her story, and for many of you, uh, it may hit a little close to home. I hope that you enjoy this. I hope you check out her show. And of course, I want to make sure that you realize that the new Royal Ruckus record is still out. We didn't take it away. It's called Unexpected Joy. It has been out almost three months, not quite three months now. Uh, Still going strong. We've got some more material coming from that soon. We could use your help. Share this record out. We do not have major budgets like they do in the majors. So please check it out, take a listen, share it with your friends, and share a lyric video. Thank you very much. Enjoy today's episode. Yeah, boy! Well, it, it, it's uh, really nice to be able to sit down with you. You've got a show, uh, which was the occasion for us to get together. That's right. Tell us about your show. I have a show called Everyday Orthodox on Ancient Faith Radio, and it's just a, it's a show where we sit down and talk to Orthodox yeah, people. Yeah. And you're an Orthodox person. It's true. So I was talking to you. <laughs> and uh, the idea is just kind of, you know, there are so many Orthodox people in America that are, well, actually, there are not so many. We're a small group. But among us, we don't even know each other because yeah. we're all divided up into jurisdictions sure. and different regions. And I just think it's cool to have a show where we get to know each other a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Now, how long have you been doing it? It's about a year and a half now. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. And it's what, really fun. Was it was it an idea you had and you brought it to the table or like... No, Ancient Faith was had decided they wanted to have more live programming and they okay. wanted to have more live shows. Sure. And they needed a woman. And they asked uh, a woman named Frederica Matthews Green. <laughs> and she said no. Okay. And they said, Well, if Frederica won't do it, Alisa will probably fall for it. <laughs> and they called me. <laughs> and at first I was like, Look, I don't want to do one of those shows where we talk about all the controversial issues. Right. right. And I don't really want to argue with people a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I thought about it for a while and I was like, Well, wait a minute. What if we just did a show where I could just hang out and talk to people? Right. And just in- right. just find an interesting person and talk to them for an hour. And they were like, Yeah, absolutely. So, And it turns out, 
there are a ton of interesting people. Like I have this sure. list of people I want to contact. Okay. And it's it's pages long. Cause That's I, a good thing. That's I meet so people good. all the time. And it's just like anybody, right? It right. could be anybody. It could be like right. some old guy who just sits in the back of the church. It could right. be anyone. It doesn't matter. See, I, I love that. And that was actually one of the, you know, one of the angles behind this podcast, Birth, right. Spirits, and Chipper. It's like every, uh, I have a byline that I use sometimes because everyone has a story. Right. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, now, so was this your first podcast? No, I had a few others. I yeah. started with Raising Saints, which is about oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. raising children in the Orthodox Church. It's kind of about, yeah. it's a little bit about Sunday school. It's kind of religious okay. education, but okay. it could also be religious ed at home too. Sure. And I've, I started that, I think in 2012, maybe. Okay. So that was going for quite a while. And then I started doing this one, Everyday Orthodox. And then now I have a weekly podcast that's called Tending the Garden of Our Hearts. Nice. That's like a little... You listen to it with your kids. It's kind of a conversation starter with kids. Oh, can, do you mind yeah. talking a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I, I feel like as I started traveling around talking to people about Sunday school yeah. and uh, and raising children and all of that, one thing I really saw was that a lot of Orthodox people have this problem that they're afraid of teaching their kids Bible stories. They're afraid of teaching their kids about stuff because they think they're going to screw it up. Right. And they're like, you know, you have some people who are like experts, right? You've got the homeschoolers who are very good at teaching sure. everything and they're very confident. Yeah. But then you've also got a really big crowd of Orthodox people, a lot of people raised in the church uh, and some converts who come and they're just kind of like, I'm going to mess this up and I'm going to give the kid the wrong interpretation because yeah. I'm not a priest and I don't right. know the official answer and I don't want to screw anything up. So you just don't talk to their kids about the faith. Right. And it's right. like, no, 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 no. It's okay sure. if you screw something up. Like, Absolutely. it's all figuring things out and it's all struggling through and, and yeah. everybody can do that with their kid. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so that was where this started. It started, there's a couple of books and, and this podcast series and they're really, you know, we'll do a little lesson. We'll talk about a saint's life. We'll talk about a Bible story, but it always ends with questions to get the kids talking and then to get the parents talking with them and to start leading it. That's cool. Yeah, so hopefully it's helping. I don't yeah. know. That's that's really good. Uh we were talking earlier on the other show about Mormons and you yes. know, I don't know if you know this, but Mormons have like or they're encouraged to, maybe not every family does this, but they're supposed to have family home evening where they have an evening devoted to reading their religious texts, talking about their faith, singing songs, spending time together deliberately uh in formation in their faith. And I think there's a lot of value to that, right? Oh, so absolutely. You're sort of creating something like that. Yeah. We're offering that. You're offering a yeah. tool for something like that, right? We're offering that. We're kind of equipping it. I like to think of it as right. equipment, right? Yeah. We're equipping people. If yeah. they want to do it and they're struggling to figure out how to do it, here's, here's a way to do it. Here's an instant package for it. But it's true. You need, especially the American structure, we're home with our families a lot. Yeah. We don't think we are, but it's funny if you talk to like, I don't know, you go to Serbia, you go to Montenegro, where my husband's family's from, you go to Greece. I, people are out more at night and they're seeing other people and they're moving around. We're always in the house with our kids. We find it so important to have family time and to be here together, but we apparently right. don't always find it important to dedicate some of that time to faith formation. Right. And we really right. need to, because the truth is all the studies show uh, it's really about the example that they see in their parents right. that, that determines right. what kids think about faith yeah. and, of course, about their experience in the church. And I think as they get older into their teen years and, and as young adults, they need to be able to speak their doubts and to struggle through it and to yeah. have that conversation. And when we as parents shut it down because we're afraid of it or if we right. just sort of say, oh, you got to talk to the priest, 
you know, it's not helpful and we're, right. we're not doing what we can to really, to bring this to life for them. Right. Yeah. And from, from a, from a, like a biblical standpoint, right. There's like this talk about from when you rise up, when you're in the gates, in other words, like when you're going out into the town, the, your, the, every moment is an opportunity to pass the faith on, isn't it? That's right. So, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And especially as in the Orthodox faith, it's so much a lived faith. Like right. there's always a physical manifestation, right? Like we don't just um, try to separate ourselves from the passions. We have a fast and yeah. during this time yeah, we yeah. don't eat these things. And we really think about the appetites and all of that is very literal and very physical. And we're living out our faith all the time. We're yeah. kneeling, we're crossing ourselves. You know, that's something it, you can't just do it for a couple of hours in church and right. feel like you're right. Orthodox, right. you know? And I know when I first came into the church, I didn't get that at all. I, I did not sure. understand it. And uh, now it's so obvious to me that the right. faith has to be lived constantly. And so we have to be living it visibly in front of our kids yeah. so that they're, yeah, yeah. they're picking that up. I, I just started reading um, Atomic Habits. James oh, yeah. Clear, I think. Or, yep. um, one of the things he said in there, it's so simple, but it was very profound to me. Just to put it in those terms, it's like the things we spend our time on that we do over and over again, over time, add up to bad habits or good habits. And so you take these tiny little micro deposits for your habits, but this is true in our relationships too. That's right. You know? And with That's kids, right. it's especially true, I think, because yep. you may not even realize you're making a micro deposit. That's right. And that's what parenting is, honestly. Yeah. Like parenting yeah. is not some grand gesture that you yeah. get, you know, you can't like do the big, the equivalent of the romantic grand gesture, right? There can't be like a big parenting grand gesture. Okay. Now the kids sure. know you love me, love them, right? We took right. them to Disney World. They know we love them. Now we can check out for six <laughs> months and see what, you know, parenting is this grueling, relentless, constant stream of like tiny little actions yeah. that we hope yeah. add up to something good. And we just have to make sure that, the faith is part of those. Yeah. Well, before we get too far down that, you also have, you're an author. You've yes. written some things. Yes, I've written some things. Tell some us books. about it. Well, there was one book I accidentally wrote. And then after that, <laughs> I was like, shoot, I'm going to keep doing this. How do you accidentally <laughs> write a book? Well, you know, I'm, I mean, I was always, I've always loved writing. Sure. Always. And uh, I went to school, studied literature, wrote, you know, 35 page papers, 50 page papers, 100 page papers, loved them. Yeah. Uh, but people would say to me, Oh, you should write a book. And I'm like, I don't have anything to say. Right. I have nothing to say. I don't want to write a book. And then over these years, God like put me through the ringer with all different sorts of things. Like I got married and I started having kids and my, I kept feeling like my life was a little too easy. Yeah. I knew it was too easy. I knew something was coming. I was totally right. Things were coming. Um, we had a daughter with a cleft lip and palate and she went through her surgeries and we struggled through and sure. that felt like a really big challenge. I bet. And yeah. then my next child died of SIDS. And that was, that put, put cleft lip and palate into perspective. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's not a big challenge. That's a right. bump in the road. This right. is like the worst ever. And uh, we went through that. And then I really feel like I was kind of equipped having gone through that experience. Years later, maybe five years later, my daughter, another daughter, we have five girls. Um, another daughter went into liver failure. Mm. And when she was in the hospital, I started writing like, you know, those caring bridge blogs where people tell about what their, uh, what the updates are on a medical situation so, oh, that, so sure, that friends sure. can follow. Sure. Um, it was literally like I had my first, the very first iPhone had okay. just come out and uh, I had, I guess I had an iPhone and people wanted me to email them and they kept saying, Oh, add my cousin and add my aunt. And I'm like, I'm not a list serve. 
Like I'm a I'm a struggling, stressed out woman right. in a hospital room with yeah. like who's, who's yeah. trying to deal with her daughter's liver failure. Like right. I can't add your cousin to my list. But what I realized was if I set up a blogger blog, I could put updates and people could just put in their email and it would send them to them. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I wasn't a blogger, but I had a blog. And then I started, um, I would update it every day because I wanted people to remember to pray for her. So whether there was a medical update or not, I updated it. And so I'm telling them what's going on. And I'm just starting, I find that I start processing my experience through writing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. You know, these nurses and these doctors and this balance between the cardiologist and this other. And I was like, oh, you know, I started having all of these kind of often spiritual kind of reflections. And I knew that my family was reading it and they're not Orthodox. So I would have to explain things about like, oh, who are the saints? And we're not praying to saints, I promise, and stuff like that. But (laughs) um, it became this whole series of blog posts and when I got out of the hospital, when my daughter got out, I felt like I got yeah. out. When I was finally released, so she was an infant, so okay. you have to have a parent with them at all times. You can't just oh. leave them in the care of the hospital. Wow. Um, the nursing isn't, except in the ICU, the nursing's sure. not one-on-one. And you've got a very fragile life right there, yeah. which is why they're yeah. hospitalized. Yeah. So the parent has to stay. Well, my right. husband was in Austin with four daughters. And I was in Houston with one daughter. I didn't even have a car. Wow. So if I could have left, I couldn't have gone anywhere. Right. The big, the big deal for me that every day was like trying to work out a time with the nurse when she could be in that room for 20 minutes so I could mm-hmm. run downstairs and grab like Chipotle or Chick-fil-A. Those were my two choices. Um, right. I could grab one of those and come back up and wow. eat it. And that was like my only meal each day. So it was really like... It's like a monastic retreat almost, right? Like I'm in my cell. Anyway, yeah, seriously. It, it was, it was in a lot of ways, it was actually a very cool experience. It was a very difficult experience. Yeah. Very peaceful for me because I had already buried somebody. So I'd already buried my son. And so I sort of had an understanding of what that would be like. So I yeah. wasn't panicked yeah, yeah. and I was kind of calm. And yeah. uh, I wrote this book accidentally. So when I got out, uh, a Serbian priest, a very dear priest who had come to visit me a few times said, Hey, could we like privately publish that blog? I think it would be really helpful to people who have kids in right. the hospital. Right. Cause you know, he's a priest who's never, his kids are healthy. <clears throat> right. And he's like, I have these parishioners, you know, we're and, Serbs, yeah. we're belligerent people. And, when you, and when, when you come, they're mad at you. They're like, oh. you don't know what this <laughs> is like. You right. don't know what it's like, father. Right. My right. kid's dying. Right. Don't tell me to have faith. Right. And he's like, let's do this one because you're someone who's been there. Yeah. And so I thought, boy, it's really expensive to privately publish this. You know, that's kind of old yeah. school, right? Like you go sure. and you just print it up yourself and you pass it out. Um, so I was like, well, what if we send this to Ancient Faith and see if they like it? And they liked it. And then they were like, how are you going to market this book? And I was right. like, uh, what? I-, I mean, I thought you marketed books. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> I wrote the book and they're like, we don't have marketing. This is ancient faith. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like trying to sound smart. And I said, so, uh, what is the most successful marketing strategy you have utilized in the past with your best selling books? And they said, our best selling books are written by podcasters. And I said, well, how do you get a podcast? (laughs) And I became a podcaster. Wow. And then on the back of the book, I had to write a bio and my friends and I were laughing. My friend goes, you know what? You should put popular podcaster. Then people will think you're really popular. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. And so the bio on that book says, it's called In God's Hands. The bio says, popular podcaster, oh Elisa Bielitich. And I totally That's thought Ancient hilarious. Faith would never put that on the book. And they would yeah. throw it away because I was not a popular podcaster. Just some lady, right? Who knows? Yeah. 
No, no. Everywhere I go now, I speak at conferences. <laughs> I'll be a keynote speaker somewhere. Why? I don't know why, but oh, they'll pick wow. me. I'll go in. I don't know anything, right? They bring me in to speak, and they go popular podcaster. At least, at least as a very popular podcaster. <laughs> and I think it's awesome because I built an empire on nothing. And here that's, I am. That's amazing. It's, that should be my shipwreck, actually. <laughs> right. Well, so, sometimes you fake it till you make it, and it right? works. It works. There's not a lot of competition in the Orthodox world. That's, that's true. You know, that's... I, I pray that in the next generation, people are going to have to be smarter and more eloquent than me. Oh, to be able yeah. To, you know what I mean? Like, sure. God but... willing, in the future, it's going to be like, no, we're just taking yeah. the best of the best. But right now, now it's like, volunteers? Anyone? All right. right let's go. Well, I think that just makes the access point easier because if you're going to build an audience, you still have to say something and say it well. That's true. And That's you true. are definitely a clear yeah. communicator. Well, the know. gate is not guarded. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like nobody was guarding the gate and I just sure. walked right in. Right. But yes, I'm, I'm having a great time here. I really, I love it. I love Ancient Faith. I love writing books. I've written four books now. Well, that's wow. including the one that I accidentally wrote. Sure, and sure. Then, so sure. really, I've written three books, and I've also published an extra book that I okay. didn't mean to write. Right. And, uh, and here I am, and I'm wow. having a blast. So let's back up a little bit. Let's get a little more of your story. We kind of okay. jumped right into Orthodox and podcasting and writing. Right. So let's back right. up. How'd you, how'd you even get here? You weren't you know, nobody's born into a faith necessarily. Right. You know, you have to grow into it. Right. Um, but I like you, that. That's you, nice. You weren't born uh, even to an Orthodox family, right? No. So no. tell us a little bit about your story. Well, so I grew up way out in the middle of nowhere in California, a place called Pope Valley, which is outside of Napa Valley. We were like an hour okay. from the grocery store. And uh, my parents, my parents chose that place because they really wanted to be isolated from people. And okay. so they, okay. were, they were unusual folks, but um, <laughs> especially my dad. But, uh, you know, he's kind of didn't like authority, so he went okay. out in the middle of nowhere and built a house. Yeah. And it was great. I loved growing up in the country and out of the middle of nowhere, but we didn't have a church. There yeah. were literally no churches within, it was probably 40 minutes to the nearest church. Well, there, no, that's not true. There was a Seventh-day Adventist town okay. nearby, but we were not Seventh-day Adventists. And they were vegetarians, so I didn't want to sure. be a Seventh-day Adventist because right. I, like, I yeah. like meat. Right. And so I was like, that's not even an option. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. And this then, is not uh, helpful at all. No. You know? So I, my parents essentially, like, so my dad had a jailhouse conversion. Oh. My dad was a political yeah. terrorist. He was in jail. Holy and cow. And he was, well, actually, no, he was Christian before that. He was a Christian okay. terrorist in a sense. Okay. It was the 60s. It was San Francisco. It was Things wild. got weird. Things know? got very weird. <laughs> My dad got the Christian terrorists might have slipped in there somewhere. A lot of bad things yeah. happened, but my dad found himself in jail reading the Bible quite a bit. Wow. God told him, "Stop blowing things up. I don't want you blowing things up." And he was like, "Whoops. I'm sorry, Lord. It's very <laughs> repentant." But he did stop blowing things up. He never blew things up again. That's good. He was not completely nonviolent after that time, but he did not blow okay. anything up to, to his credit. But, Do not um, despise a day of small beginnings, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, it was like there was no church. There was yeah. no... But they handed me the Bible, specifically okay. the Schofield Reference Bible. That oh, was yeah. the only yeah. Bible to be read. The other Bibles were all suspect. But the Schofield Reference Bible, I could trust. <laughs> And God I was had, in it. I had a new Schofield, which oh. I hear some people didn't trust no, the no. new Schofield. I actually now, when I got married, <laughs> they gave me a new Schofield. Oh. So I have the updated okay. version, okay. but I was raised on the old Schofield. Wow. Which, honestly, I've not spent enough time to figure out what the difference between those two are. But If, if it's possible to be hipster with Schofield, that's it. Right? That's the way. There we are. Anyway, right? Sorry, keep like... going. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
I'm it's so obscure too for the. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's probably like three listeners that know Schofield. Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> there are very few people who are nodding in agreement with right, us right, right. now. But uh, so essentially, my parents gave me this Bible and said, "This is true. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. He loves you. He forgives you. He died for you. Your sins are paid in full. <laughs> Done." Yeah. And uh, my, they were fond of saying. Um, God sent his only begotten son. I can't, oh no, I've forgotten it. I can't believe it's gone out of my mind right now. <laughs> they had a particular sentence and it was like, and thou shalt be saved, period. Yeah. And it was like, they yeah. always said the period. They said okay. the period. It wasn't implied. Sure. It was thou shalt be saved, period. And it was Gotta like, it. you know, once saved, always saved. That's all you need yeah. to know. Yeah. And so I grew up, I really, I had some very profound experiences reading the Bible on my own. Okay. And I, you know, I would say I was baptized by fire, I used to say. Because mm. it was like, I saw the light of God. I could feel God's presence. I knew God was real. Yeah. And that's what I needed to know. And so I went through my teenage years, having been raised by crazy people, totally wild, yeah. did whatever I wanted. I was like really a smart kid, but I was also wild. Yeah. And sometimes my parents would be like, I think you're doing bad things. And I'd look at them and go, how could I get the grades I get and be doing those things? And they'd be like, oh, you're right. You're right. You're doing fine. I was like, thank you. And of course, I was completely full of it, right? Yeah, I just yeah, did yeah. whatever I wanted. Yeah. And I was young. I, I skipped a grade and I had started school young. So, But oh, when wow. I graduated high school, I was only 16. And so I used to joke when I got to college, I went to Berkeley and I was totally over all of it. Like I wasn't interested in drinking or drugs or anything else. I was just like, man, I grew up all that stuff at 15. Like, what are you guys right. doing? Why, how right. are you so immature? Yeah. And so, um, but I, in a sense, that was good. <laughs> I, I got any crazy out of my system and I went to college. I met a nice guy who's Serbian Orthodox. Okay. And at the time I thought I had never heard of Orthodox. Sure. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I had that Greek friend who had that icon in his house. And, you know, there's, I could see here and there that like orthodoxy was always on the periphery. Okay. It was always there. I had seen orthodox churches. I knew orthodox people. Yeah. But I had really never considered the idea that a person would become orthodox without being born into it. Yeah. And because uh, I thought of them not as orthodox, but as Greek or as yeah, Serbian yeah, or whatever. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm asking my husband, well, why are you orthodox? And he's like, well, because I'm Serbian. And I'm like, well, okay, cool for you. Yeah. And uh, we dated for a long time. And before we got married, I was really, I was thinking about converting. His family really wanted me to convert for sure. Sure. Um, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. I would go to the church and everything was in Slavonic, so I didn't understand. Okay. I really struggled culturally to make a connection with the priests. And I would ask them questions and the answers didn't make sense. And I was like, ah, forget it. So we went ahead and got married. Uh, I wrote the ceremony. It was oh, wow. like, it was as like wow. not orthodox as you can get. I wrote a ceremony that like, <laughs> but it was cool. It like referenced Cana and it okay. referenced like, actually what's funny is I didn't look at an orthodox ceremony, sure. but I actually referenced a lot of things in the Bible. Anything in the Bible that was about marriage, I was bringing right. up anything that was positive right, about right. marriage. I was bringing up, there's a lot in the Bible you don't want to <laughs> deal with. You know, you mean you didn't mention all the polygamy and stuff? <laughs> exactly, yeah. none of the polygamy. Well, I, I, I think I let Rachel in. Oh well, you know, but that doesn't count. That fair. hardly counts. Nah, no, nah. <laughs> but um, anyway, or Sarah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, but a lot of those people made an appearance, so, right? <laughs> and uh, I think, in a lot of ways, my thinking was already in line with right, orthodoxy right, about what right. a wedding should be and right. what it would look like. And actually, in the this will tell you something about me. In the middle of the wedding service, we hired some guy. We rented some church, right? We're in the Lutheran sure. church. Neither of us belongs to. Yeah, yeah. We're standing there. This guy I've paid to or to do our wedding is there. And one of the things was he had to bless the rings. 
And he's like, in the middle of the service, he looks at it and he thinks about it and he just hands us our rings. And I go, no, you have to bless them. And I stop the wedding. I'm like, wait, bless wow. the rings. And yeah. he's like, probably a denomination that doesn't bless things. Sure. I was just kind of get, he's like, ah, hocus pocus, mini hocus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> your rings. And I'm like, man, that was unsatisfying. Wow. So I was yeah. like, perhaps in some ways orthodox and didn't know it. Right, but uh, right. we got married wow. and then uh, got pregnant right away, like within okay. a couple of weeks. Wow. And uh, which we were dumb because we did that on purpose, not understanding that you could like just travel. You could just have fun. <laughs> you could just get to know each other. We were right. like, we want kids. Let's have kids right, now. Right, right. And it's like, wow. oh, good. Now we're we're having a baby immediately. And I'm right. like nauseous on my honeymoon. And it's oh, sure. great. And so um, I knew I wanted to be the same religion by the time the baby was born. And I had a nine-month countdown. Mm. And I tried to convince him to be Lutheran. I wasn't Lutheran, but I just figured that was a middle ground. Sure. It's liturgical, yeah. but it's Protestant. That'll work, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he wasn't going for it. And he wouldn't become anything else. He was like, Orthodox is not something I do. It's something I am. Mm. Can't change it. Right. And I realized, oh, man, I'm going to have to be Orthodox. And I found an OCA church, an American church that was in English. And I walked in there, and I stood there pregnant listening to the service and went through the whole liturgy. And I was just like, oh, I could totally do this. No problem. Okay. So I became okay. Orthodox. But then, you know, I I wouldn't say that I really thoroughly became Orthodox. Sure. Right. I accepted Orthodoxy. But like on my, I was like, I judge Orthodoxy to be worthy enough okay. for me. Okay. Like it wasn't. That's That was your headspace. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. humble at right. all. It wasn't like, oh, the Holy Church. I'm so lucky right. to be admitted right, right, right. into the Holy Church. It was not that at all. And I was not catechized. And I just kind of showed up and we, we got a priest to baptize me. And he baptized me at home because that was my husband's. Uh, yeah, the Serbian church, it was under communism. under the Turks. It was right. under communism. Yeah, yeah. It was weird, it was right? He came to my house right. and he baptized me. And I was yeah. Orthodox. And we started having babies. And uh, we'd take them to church on Sundays. Okay. And they'd receive communion. And to me, that was being Orthodox. That was like, right, I right, show right. up on Sunday. It was geographical. Sure. It was like my GPS shows that I go to an Orthodox church <laughs> every Sunday morning. Right. That's where you'll find me. I must be Orthodox. Yeah. And I really had no understanding at all what yeah. it was for a really long time. Yeah. I was, I was fake Orthodox. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, not Greek Orthodox or Serbian Orthodox. I was just fake Orthodox for right. a while. Right. Now, I don't want to discount that entirely, though, because, I mean, there is something to be said about just showing up. Yeah. Because yeah. a, lot, a lot of times we struggle even doing that. Yes. You know, and there have been seasons in my life where I had all the orthodox things in the head and I wasn't showing up for liturgy. Yeah. So, uh, who's really orthodox? The right. person who's still going anyway or the person who has all these ideas in the head? I'll tell you what. living it. I think you were more orthodox because I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, there are people who are Orthodox who don't go to church all the time. Yeah. Various life circumstances, frustrations, sure. whatever, lazy, yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, right. And in fact, uh, I was just at a funeral and we buried a dear, dear cousin. And the priest said, she never went to church. But I know a lot of people in church who come to me for confession and they don't have half the contrition. They don't mm -hmm. have, they don't forgive others. Yeah. They're yeah. holding grudges and they're walking. Around. He's like, this person was so close to God. And she was so beautiful. So there's that, right? Yeah. There's that. Yeah. This wasn't I don't me. want to discount that. I That's was like, sure. whatever. I was just doing yeah. my thing and showing up at the church. And uh, and then after a few years, we moved to Texas, went to an OCA church instead of a Serbian church. Everything was in English. And that priest was more demanding. Okay. He was like, you 
are orthodox. <laughs> that means you're coming to confession. This means you're going to fast. You're going to do all these things. I'm like, whoa. So that was really... I didn't know I signed up for this. <laughs> right. I was like... And I looked at my husband. I'm like, if I'm converting, you're converting. Like, let's do this. You wow. know? And he's like, ah, all right. Hey, love, Bo. Not you, shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo. Not you, shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo. I'm walking in the club like... Um, excuse me. Not you, shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo. Not you, shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo. Not you, shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo. I'm walking in the club like... Not you, shipwreck. And then right in the middle of it, um, you know, we'd had our fourth child and I, I laid him down on the bed on Memorial Day for a nap mm -hmm. and I went back and he was dead. Oh my and God. it was like my whole world completely stopped. And it just so happened that this new priest of ours was a young guy and he was an American. And so back in California, we'd had priests who were from Yugoslavia, much older than us, um, and who often actually like preached about the dangers of cell phones and this priest this is going to date me because i'm an old person but this priest had a blackberry and we were like whoa he has a blackberry that's amazingly Impressive. high tech right and so i mean there weren't any smartphones at the time the blackberry right. was the smartest of the phones and they and they put it right in the little email signature because they right? it was like if you they had that, that it was like wow right sent so, with my blackberry that's right it Registered. had a keyboard <laughs> Exactly. Who puts a keyboard on a phone? It's amazing. Yeah. This yeah. priest, who was my age, okay. he had a BlackBerry, and he goes, let me get your phone numbers, and you can get my phone number. The first day we met him, and we were like, that's amazing. Yeah. This priest wants my phone number. And I didn't know why I would need this priest's phone number. Sure. I had no idea that that would sure. come in handy, but I thought, you know, whatever. You want me to take down your phone? Sure, I'll put your phone yeah. number in my phone. Yeah, yeah. My flip phone. And so <laughs> um, we, uh, when my son died... It was so extraordinary and so, I mean, it just like, it's like time stopped and it moved really slowly. It was very cinematic in my memory. Like, you know how in horror films you see something terrible and it comes close and far and close and far? Mm. It was like, like that's my memory yeah, of right. discovering my son's body. He was sure. asleep and I, he had like, there was some lividity already so you knew he was dead and it was just awful. It was awful. So, um, you know, I'm going through this and my husband just calls our priest and uh i don't think he was thinking about it or i it just happened right and he was just like oh call him and right. he he's like we're calling 911 meet us at the hospital and my priest walked into the hospital and sat down and we just started to and i looked at him and i there were all these questions in my head i didn't even know i had right yeah. Yeah. and actually i was feeling really bad because before he got there i rode in the ambulance so i was holding my son let's back up yeah son passes away I walk in, I find him. He's still a little bit warm, so I really just found him. Wow. And I'm holding him, but I understand that he's dead. Yeah. And my husband's going, give him CPR. And I'm like, okay. And I'm I'm giving him CPR, but I know he's dead. I already know that. So I keep stopping because I know he's dead. You could, I could feel it. Like his, yeah. It was like giving yeah. CPR to a piece of wood. It wasn't right. going to happen. Right. It didn't feel like a, a right. living body anymore. So I'm holding him in the hall before the ambulance comes and I'm sitting there and actually this story is cool. So I'll tell you this cause yeah. it's, there's an ending to it later. But as I was standing there waiting for the ambulance could have only have been minutes, but it felt like maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes. I'm standing there holding him and I feel this presence come down 
And it just kind of says to me, like, you loved him and he loved you and that was mutual. And this was good. And there's more. Mm. And he and the presence goes away, but Luca goes with him. Like, I can just feel it. He just went, he was gone. And I thought, okay, you know, that's the moment when his soul left his body. I could feel it. Yeah. Like, okay. And I'm kind of frozen. I'm not really praying. I'm not really doing anything. Like, there were other times when my daughter was born with a cleft lip and palate. That was like this emergency birth at home alone. Yeah. And I gave birth to her. And then I sat there just saying, the, the, um, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, mm-hmm. just reading that or saying that psalm in my head right. again and again. Right. And it, but this somehow in this situation, I did not pray. I did not do, I don't know. I was just quiet. And I was standing there holding him by the door and the ambulance came and I w- walked out and I went to the hospital and then they take him into this room and they're working so hard to save him. And I'm like, okay, he's been without oxygen for a long time, right? I now know having a daughter who had a transplant, they're trying to save his organs. They weren't trying to save him, which totally makes more sense. And actually would have been helpful to know at the time, because at the time I thought these strangers are fighting so hard to save him. What's wrong with me that I don't believe it's possible. Like what's wrong with me that I don't have that kind of faith. And this woman uh, was like a chaplain or something in the hospital. And she sits down next to me and she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I'm sitting outside of a room there's a window i'm watching a team of people like pounding on this tiny little 11 pound baby um you know and in the autopsy has all these broken ribs from it and stuff it's just awful to watch i'm like yeah i'm not doing well sure and she goes well you know let me sit and pray with you and i just looked at her i said there's nothing to pray for yeah and i i felt so bad about that later because it's like what a thing to say yeah. You know, but I just felt like that. Like there's just nothing cuz I felt like all the energy was towards saving him. Yeah. And I just understood. Like I went right past denial. I never had deni- went into denial. I knew it the first moment. The moment I found him, I was like he's dead and now everyone will know that I am the worst mm-hmm. parent ever cuz mm-hmm. my child died on my watch. And it was just like this whole, and it was, it was SIDS. There's no fault. Right. There's nothing you can right. do. We did all the stuff, right? Put him on his back, the right temperature, all the stuff. Right. But, you know, in that moment, it was just me just sitting there quietly, like in the ultimate humility of understanding that there was just nothing I could do. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask anyone to do anything. There's nothing anyone could do. And it was all yeah. just quiet. So I'm sitting there and my priest comes and. I start looking at him and asking, all of a sudden these questions start popping into my head. You know, things like, he was never baptized. He was only 40 to 45 days old. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't baptized. And I was like, you know, can, can he go to heaven? And my priest's like, yes, absolutely. He's going to heaven. And, uh, you know, we just have all these, all these questions for him. Yeah. Why did he die? Why would this happen? Why would God give you a gift like that and take it away? Yeah. Why do you, how can you have a perfectly healthy child in front of you? Like there's so much fear during pregnancy of miscarriage. And later I would have a miscarriage and learn all about the horrors of that. But it's like that you get to the point, you get past the first trimester and then you get past the second trimester mm-hmm. Then the baby's born. We're worried about a cleft lip and palate. Nothing. Right? right. He's healthy. Everything's fine. Right. And everything's fine. Yeah. And then it's not, then nothing's okay anymore and everything's over yeah. and that's it. And it's all final and finished right. and it's awful. And, uh, so it was just so beautiful though. Cause I could just sit there with this priest and just ask him over and over and over again, what is this? And why is this? And, and what am I, how do I make sense of this? Yeah. And he just sat with us and he gave us the most beautiful answer. And remember I wasn't, I hadn't learned a lot of Orthodox theology. 
Yeah. I had read the Bible myself. I'd had my own experiences. Um, I had not really approached it intellectually. Sure. And so he's sitting there and he's like, look, this is a fallen world. And God did not create death. He created us for life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And it was like, he just started speaking the most beautiful theology to me. Yeah. And over that period of time, I mean, that was the worst period of my life, obviously. Uh, it was so dark and it was so hard. I used to say, especially I think because um, he was only six weeks old, you get this, um, there's still a real physical connection between a mother and child. Sure. You know, I was nursing yeah. him and I had just so recently carried him and, and you're never separate from them at that age, right? They're just always, he would sleep by my bed in his bassinet. He was always within arm's reach. Right. And to suddenly have him just completely taken away from me yeah. was shocking yeah. and uh, just awful. And so I used to say I felt like I'd been cleaned out by a melon baller. Like I, I could actually trace for, I can still trace for you the actual exact line of where I was cleaned out. There was like a physical aching and there was a, there was a physical part of me where I could feel that there was something connected to me that had been ripped off of me and was just gone. And it was, it was really dark and it reminded me, it made me think so much of the Psalms Yeah. and I took such comfort in the Psalms and in yeah. David talking about the dark abyss. Yeah. And just what that means. And it was so nice to know someone else had been there to read about the right. abyss, to read right. about the pit. Right. You know, I would think about the pit and I would think I'm a wretch. Yeah. I'm wretched. Like this is what wretched actually is. Like yeah. I came to understand it differently right. and I would, and I wanted darkness sometimes mm. like physical darkness, right. and I, but I had these three little girls to raise. Yeah. So there I am, you know, my husband's off to work and I've got these three little girls and people used to say, this is, don't ever say this. <laughs> people say stupid things when you lose someone right and, yeah, and i absolutely. understand it's all well-intentioned people are absolutely. dumb and we don't know what to say we don't, I, i'm sure i said it a hundred times but people would look at me and they would shake their head and go i don't know how you get up in the morning which by the way is like an invitation to suicide for someone who is right. really desperate and really doesn't know how to yeah. get up in the morning yeah. that's a dumb thing to say yeah. you know like that's don't say that but so they would say that to me and my answer i had a stock answer which was well, Helena, who was two years old at the time, had, she had these beautiful big brown eyes. Okay. And she would walk up to my bed and she would tap on me. And she'd look at me with these gorgeous, huge brown eyes yeah. and say, toast? I want some toast. <laughs> and I'd get up and I'd make her toast. And that was like, that's how I got up in the morning. Thank God, right? Thank God. Right. Got me, God sent me yeah. the most beautiful thing. Yeah. This beautiful child just like yeah. relying on me. And, uh, and having the kids, actually, it was yeah. sometimes it was taxing, right? Because you, you oh, have to hide your grief. Yeah. I mean, it's taxing anyway. My kids were six, four, and two. That's a handful. Yeah, yeah. But also, you have to hide your grief from your kids. You can't just cry right. all day right. when you're raising kids. And uh, so sometimes I would just go in my closet to cry or I'd hide. And, uh, you know, I just had so many experiences where I just sat there in the dark I loved my closet because it was so, so dark. Yeah. It's Texas. We have big closets. So you can fit, right? Like, you can Everything's fit. bigger in Texas. The clothes are all around yeah. you. And they kind of, it's like a big warm curtain. And you're in there. And then, you know, years later, I went to the Holy Land. Okay. And everybody was in caves, right? All these monastics and sure. caves. I totally get it. That's my closet. Wow. I'd sit on the hard yeah. floor of my closet in the darkness. And there I could pray. And I could pray really honestly. Yeah. And in the dark, it was like... 
you know, nobody could see if you're crossing yourself or if you're doing yeah. your prostration yeah. or whatever. You could prostrate yourself for half an hour and nobody's going to think you're weird. You know, or the, it, it just, it was nice. I was sitting there and yeah. I, I could just feel my heart just like, I could just cry out to God. Yeah. And when I got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore, he would, he would come and I'd be all right. And yeah. I'd stand up and I'd wipe my face and I'd go out and deal with my kids who had been unsupervised for 20 minutes and right. had to clean up all the big messes that they had made. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... It's 6 4 2 for sure. Yeah, it was well, a lot. But the great thing about them is they would just speak their minds all the time. So like right. you'd be in the grocery store. Sorry, I, I, I'm talking a lot. But no, you're good. We'd be in the grocery store and somebody would be like, oh, you have three girls. All girls. Are you going to try for a boy? Because uh, Texans are chatty, yeah, right? Yeah, and they yeah, love yeah, to say yeah. that. And my girls, especially my second daughter, Vasi, she'd just look at him and she'd go, well, we had a boy, but he died. Oh. And they'd be like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Or one lady was like, oh. well, he's an angel in heaven now. And Vasi mm. goes, that's like saying he turned into a giraffe. Angels aren't dead people. And so we just went around. That it was is so amazing. Great. It was so satisfying. Because wow. I couldn't like be nasty yeah. to people. They were being kind. Right. They were trying. Absolutely. And uh, But it was so beautiful because my kids could just lay it out. They'd be like, uh, yeah, we do have another baby. And he's dead, if you're interested. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that made those situations so much more doable for you. <laughs> I did. It was awesome. Well, take take me back to that closet. What was your prayer? What were your prayers like? If you don't mind us getting a little glimpse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, I would say when it really got intense, mostly the prayers had no words. Yeah. Right. It was more groaning almost. It was an inward groaning. It was just my spirit groans yeah. like in the Psalms. Um, it would probably start out more like, you know, you have to give me strength, Lord. Yeah. You have to, yeah. Yeah. it would be things like, Usually my guess is it would start, my guess, my recollection is <laughs> that it would start with something um, more specific to like, help me hold my act together yeah, with these yeah. kids. You know, I have these yeah. kids in this house and I'm trying to act normal and I can't act. So I had PTSD yeah. because um, I'm a really visual person anyway, but like that moment of discovering him, I will forever have his face in my head. And, uh, that would come back to me. So if I was in, a, if I tried to go to a party or like a gathering with more than a few people, I could go to church and I craved church. I went to church all the time, mm -hmm. but, um, I never missed a weekday liturgy. I was lucky enough not to be working at that time. I was just okay. raising the kids yeah. so I could go to all the liturgies. Um, but, uh, you know, my pray my prayers. So when I went with groups of people, I would have this problem that I couldn't focus in a group, I would become very self-conscious and I would be thinking like, I'm the only person here who is thinking about Luca. I'm the only person here who's thinking about death. Mm -hmm. You guys are all chatting and you're having your conversations and I'm like inside a cone of silence, like Superman or something. Yeah. And I'm, and I would start having this image of his face in my head constantly. Yeah. And it would, it would happen to me all the time. And it would be like family functions, all kinds of different stuff. Um, and I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do small talk. I couldn't have conversation because of this problem. And then it would happen to me at home where when, so because he died in his sleep his I associate his death with sleep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, so when I would put my kids down at night or for a nap, I was really afraid that they were going to die. And I was mm -hmm. just really, um, trying to balance this constant sort of anxiety and panic that they were, 
actually dying right now and I didn't know it and I wasn't yeah, with them yeah. like with Luca. So I would go into their rooms and I would like poke them and stuff to see if they were okay, <laughs> which is not good parenting practice. It's not good uh, practice. It's like a good way to pass on your paranoia to your kids, right? right like, yeah. I just want to know if you're alive. And I mean, they could be yeah. awake and talking yeah, yeah, yeah. to me. Right. And in my brain, I was going, oh, they're dead. Of course. I think they're talking. This is a hallucination. They're sure. actually dead. And I could see their face, like with that same lividity, with the the where the way the blood pools in a dead body. That I would see that in them when right. they were even moving and talking. Wow. So I wow. went through a lot of counseling to deal with that. Okay. But so a lot of my prayers uh, were starting out with just kind of like, Lord, I can't do this. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't act normal with my kids. Yeah. I can't serve dinner to my family. I can't just keep trying to function as if the world is going on because the world is not going on for me. The world has stopped and I can't get back on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it just, uh, it was a long time, but most of those prayers would eventually really just turn it just sobbing and just this inward groaning of yeah. this, you know, just utter pain. And it was kind of amazing because it was like, I was silent, but it was kind of like I would yell out yeah. and God would always come. And I think of like an image like Lazarus in the tomb, you know, this like, I can't take it anymore. And he would just fix it. It was like just this healing balm would come over me. I was okay. And I could go on. And it happened once in church. And there was another lady who had a baby boy. At the, she gave birth right when Luca died. Mm. And so when he was six weeks old, they brought him in to church him, right? So for the first 40 days, I was clear. I didn't even think about it. Right. Then... You know, he comes in, they church him on his 40th day, just like we had just done the day before Luca died. We had churched him in the same church. So I'm watching it and it's all just flashback and crazy and I'm spinning, right? And trying to, you know, it's an OCA church. There are no pews to hold on to. I'm just like doing my best. And when uh, I got in line to receive communion, she just happened to step right in front of me and get in line because, you know, and there I'm standing behind this baby. And he kind of looks like Luca and he's the same age and I'm just sort of panicking. And as I was getting closer, I really was like freaking out. Yeah. And just before I stepped up to the cup, I could just feel God just relieved it. And then I was okay. And it was like, I floated like no pain, no anything. I went, you know, I received communion. I got my bread and my wine. I went back to my spot. I almost didn't even remember that part of it. Like it was so easy that it was effortless. Wow. And then I was back and I was back to normal. And it was just, they, it, they were really profound, fascinating yeah. experiences like that. Just again and again, where it was like, I had no strength and I would admit that I had no strength and I would sit there without strength. And at, when I really couldn't do it anymore, God would just come in wow. and he would just do it for me somehow. Yeah. yeah. And then I would be okay after that. Yeah. And it was just, just again and again and again. You know, I had a, my priest was like, you are a witness to the resurrection because you're seeing it because you're being yeah. resurrected all the time. Yeah. And, you know, after over years, it's been 14 years now. I'm, I'm so much better. Yeah. You know, PTSD isn't a problem anymore. Any sure. of that. Um, and in a lot of ways, I became a better parent because, oh, I bet. you know, just these little things like people would be like, oh, I wish she'd be quiet. Like, I still cringe when people say that because yeah. all I yeah. think is like, yeah, Luca's really quiet. Right. You know, quiet children are not living children right. and, uh, children who don't move around and children who, um, who sleep really well, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. 
you know, it, was, it was really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I have a nephew born at the same time as my son, Luca. So for a while, that was hard. Now it's great because I get yeah. this little window yeah. into, you know, who Luca's cousin is at that age who Luca would have hung out with you right. know maybe not I don't know that Luca would have been just like him sure. but it's like a window into the mind he's my access to a 14 year old kid right now and right. I don't have any 14 year old boys right but but my nephew right is right there and so I love that uh but when he was a baby he would not sleep okay he was the worst sleeper ever he had colic he screamed and he cried and his poor parents it was sure. awful they couldn't go anywhere <laughs> like they'd go to a hotel and he'd scream so much the manager would ask them to leave oh wow because the people in the hotel couldn't sleep they were, wow. they were asked to leave it was awful that's serious but it also created this problem where i had a child who went to sleep and never woke up and my sister-in-law who hopefully doesn't listen to this show was <laughs> always talking about how her son wouldn't sleep yeah. And about sleep problems and about babies sleeping and why won't, you know, yeah. uh, it just, it was endless and I just sure. couldn't stand it. Sure. I was so mad at her and she, just, like, she didn't know <laughs> it, but it was the worst. Yeah. But we get along fine now because it's been 14 years and I can well, do it now. And that's one of those things that wouldn't necessarily occur to somebody. Right. Obviously. Right. I know. thought of it as a sleep disorder. Yeah. My husband had sleep apnea and I made him get a surgery for it. I was like, nobody <laughs> else dies of SIDS in this house. Yeah. And he's like, it's a really hard surgery. I'm like, I don't care. Do it. <laughs> Do it. He did it. <laughs> well, so at, as you sort of uh, climbed out of the hole of despair, I mean, what, how long, that was 14 years ago, right? That, that this, uh, you were thrust into this situation. But when did you, like, can you approximate, like, how long was it before you almost had a sense of uh, normalcy restored, if that's even possible to say? Well, you know, I, the, they always say the first year is the hardest year because yeah. it's all the first without someone. Yeah. And that really was hard. But there, because I was raising other kids, sure. it was really tricky because I was always around little kids. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, I don't know, if, if you... I don't know. I guess it is like a lot of loss too. Cause if you lose your father, you're around people with fathers. And if you, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever you lose your spouse, you're around people with spouses. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It was, I was always going to like little kid birthday parties and like my daughters had this something. uncanny ability yeah. to have girlfriends whose little brother is the exact age of Luca. Mm. And sometimes who's named Luke or Luca. Oh, wow. I know a lot of boys named Luke wow. his age. It was yeah. apparently a very yeah. popular popular name that, was that a year big, big name that year yeah and uh so i mean it was a long time before that kind of stuff didn't really sure. kick me in the gut you know yeah. now it doesn't bother me at all yeah. but back in the, i would say you know for at least three years afterwards it was i was markedly different from yeah. another person yeah. Yeah. you know than from anybody else and there yeah. were a lot of things that were just really hard for me to do family photos uh, drove me nuts because yeah, yeah. like they'd be like oh is everyone here mm -hmm. no Everyone's not here and everyone's not ever going to be here because one of us left and he's not coming back. And it just, you know, that was so, so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, luckily we moved on to other tragedies and other difficulties. <laughs> we had, you know, within a year, other awful stuff was yeah. happening and it was like, you have to focus on that. And I do think we were at about the six month point, maybe four months, four to six months. One night, my husband turns to me and he's like, oh, we need to transfer money to be able to pay that bill and i was like oh you're right we have to remember to do that and it was like wow things must be getting better because yeah. we thought of that like right i don't know right. how my right. bills got paid 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I paid him. Yeah. But it was like, everything was a disaster. It was all yeah. so, you couldn't think about anything small for the longest time. Right. And even for the first year, you know, details like baking birthday cakes or going grocery shopping or, right. you know, oh, you're supposed to wear a special dress on Easter. Like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares, right? Like, people die and there's eternal life and there's this temporary life and I don't care yeah. about any of that stuff. It took like a year before I cared about that stuff. Right. And maybe six right. months before any of it even was like on my, on right. my radar. And then uh, it took a few more years though to get back to normal. Yeah. When Luca would have been two when we had our next child. And uh, her name is Stefania. And thank God she was very healthy and very robust. And I just say, you know, God gave me this very special gift. Because when I was pregnant, yeah. I joked that, you know, she was going to have a really rough childhood because as a, I could not possibly put a baby down for a nap ever again. And I <laughs> right. was like, when she falls asleep, Jeez. I'm going to wake her up. I'm like, yeah. this is going to be bad. She'll never like, get sleep. <laughs> she's going to have developmental problems from this. Yeah. And, um, God gave me a baby who moves in her sleep constantly. And her sisters still complain about it. Like if we go somewhere and they have to share a bed and Steffi will kick them all the time and she rolls around, she steals the covers. She's yeah. in constant motion and they'll wow. complain about it. And I'm always like, no, that's a special gift to me. Yeah. So if you have a problem with that, you come to me because God gave me that. He yeah. gave me a baby yeah. who every time I thought she was dead would like throw her arm over or roll over or like wiggle. Yeah. And I was just... I was fine. And then we had our next daughter and she went into liver failure when mm -hmm. she was two months old, yeah. right around when Luca died. And I had a moment that was really awful where I was standing in my room and I'm holding her and, uh, and I'm, I'm really absorbing just for the first, like this understanding that she's fatally ill. Yeah. And, uh, this voice in my head goes, just kill her now. It'll be uh, easier. Right. And I kind of smiled to myself and I was like, oh, yeah. you played your hand. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. okay, whatever weird demonic influences are around right. me. Like, it right. was so interesting because after going through everything with Luca, I just had this vision of it. or sure. I just understood it. And I was like, that's not my thought. Right. That's some horrible bullshit that floats around this universe. Yep. And you push me a little too far, a little too fast. And now I'm on to you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over you. I don't yeah. need it. And, uh. And you know, just everything was different that time when she was sick. We took her to the hospital and there she is dying and I'm super calm. And you know, people would come in and just want to talk to me yeah. about how calm I was and how I was doing. <laughs> and I was thinking like, oh, they're really impressed with my faith. Maybe I can show sure, orthodoxy, sure. right? Yeah. This is an icon. This is why I'm calm. Yeah. No, they were like evaluating me because they thought there was something wrong with me because I was so calm. Oh yeah. But I understood, yeah. I understood something they didn't like I yeah. knew that as horrific as it is to bury a child, I knew that God was with me last time and he'll be with me this time and he'll be with her. I know yeah. God never forsook Luca. He never forsook me. He wouldn't forsake Mariana and he'd be there with me and I didn't want to do it again. I mean, it's like when you've had any really horrible experience, like a really terrible trip, right? And you've yeah. been on this road and it was all miserable and everything went wrong. And you're like, well, I could do it again, but I don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I knew I could yeah. do it again. Yeah. I knew that God would be there. And that when yeah. it got really hard, he would carry me. And I was like, okay, I can do that again. And that's how I ended up being, you know, a person who would randomly accidentally write a book about Mariana's liver transplant. Um, and who, became someone, it was like all my life I had wanted to be a writer 
and people thought I ought to be a writer, but I, I didn't have anything to say. Yeah. And then after that, there was like this awakening and I was like, okay, now I have something to say. Yeah. And that was four years after Luca. And I would say that that was right about when something started waking up in me mm. and it was like, okay, you know, I'm back to who I used to be, uh, but somebody knew, but right. I'm like, yeah. I was back to normal. It wasn't the same person I was four years before, but it was someone who was, had a much deeper faith, mm. a much different perspective on everything. Right. And, uh, especially on parenting, which is how I think oh, I got sure. into the parenting stuff yeah. is because it was like, let's all stop whining about whether they listen to us and start thinking about whether we're preparing them for the kingdom because yeah. that's where they're headed yeah. and that's where we're headed. And there's only that one thing that matters. And even now, like 14 years later, I get more distracted now, right? Like I forget that myself. Yeah. Um, but there was a time in my life when I never forgot it for a minute Yeah. and it was, you know, life changing. I hope, yeah. I hope it, it continues to change me. I hope it doesn't go away. <sighs> My goodness, I was not prepared for how wonderful this was. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I, no, it was great, and I, I had, I had so many rabbit trails. I was tempted to take you on, but no, um, you are talking about you know the universal human experience, but you experience it in a way that not everybody does, in a in a way that was jarring and life changing forever. And of course, we emerge different. Yeah, you know. absolutely. And it is so beautiful, isn't it? It's the universal yeah. life experience, but yeah. we all see it from our vantage point. Yeah. And we all see it, you know, we're, it's the same great, amazing story just being worked yeah. out in so many. I mean, I was a complete major and I specialized in frame tales. Okay. And I was so amazed and excited to find out that life is a frame tale, that there is this one beautiful, elegant story. Yeah. of God creating us and saving us and wanting us. And then inside it, we all have our own little inset tale yeah. that mirrors it, but is yeah. different from it and tells it yeah. in a different way. And I mean, well, I, I could just hand you my senior thesis on, <laughs> on frame tales, but like that, that the, my senior thesis became my whole life. Right, and people right, say you right. can't do anything with a complete degree. Yes, <laughs> my you can do you can live in it <laughs> <laughs> you can make it your life why not right you may not pay the bills but it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well and i think that's the crucial thing is right like these things can destroy us or they can they can make us stronger yeah but, absolutely and that's not always entirely up to us but for whatever part of it that is up to us we have to choose that and actively take that path of growing stronger that's right and, yeah. and you've clearly done that. So. Well, and I think part of it is just uh, getting past that why me, you mm -hmm. know, getting past that anger that it had to happen to me and to sort of accept like, okay, this is going to happen to one in 750 people. Yeah. Why not me? Yeah. Right. Like one, one in 750 babies will die of SIDS, you know, which is a, a shockingly high number. Actually, that actually, that, it's actually very high. I had high. no idea. It was that. You don't know because people whose kids, have, who, people whose babies die, you don't know about it. Right. They don't talk, you, you can't see it and they don't talk about it and you didn't know the baby and they're young. So they don't make a big impact on the structure of things. Like they don't leave husbands and wives. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. anyway, it's, it was interesting when he died, how many people came forward to me and were like, you know, I lost a baby in 1967. I lost a baby in 1984. Yeah. I lost a baby three years ago. Yeah. Had no idea. Yeah. It was amazing. But yeah, so it's not as rare as you would think. Yeah. But it's uh it's a really amazing experience. It's awful, but it's, amazing at the yeah. same time to go yeah. through those things. Well, tell us, uh, tell, tell the audience, uh, where they can find your 
socials or podcasts or whatever you you want people to look up? I'm all over the place. So I finally made one website where you could find stuff. And it's elisabielotich.com. And it's got like the different books and the because I write these different books on different topics and then like do different podcasts and I'm starting another podcast that's gonna be unrelated to all the other <laughs> podcasts and it's like it's all chaos so I put it all on one site and then uh, but you know you can always find me on Facebook I'm active on Facebook okay. Elisa Bielitich and uh, you know I'm on Twitter and Instagram but not as much okay I'm there all right. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being on my socials. Uh, actually, you know, it's funny. On your show, I should have said royalruckus.com. I, I didn't. Put, you know what? I put it on the <laughs> Facebook page so people would find it, but I didn't think of it either. Yeah. That well, was dumb of us. Yeah. Oh, Let's well. hope they know how to use Google and they'll just type no, in Royal Ruckus. People don't know. People don't know these yeah, things. You would think. No. Um, yeah. So royalruckus.com and then I'm at Royal Ruckus or at Royal Ruckus Official on so many places. I'm also, well, you could find me. Uh, if you want to follow me too, but anyway, we've we've got a new record out, uh, unexpected unexpected joy. I would just like to say, I love unexpected joy. It's <laughs> awesome. It's so cool. Thank you. It's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. You so, could almost it's almost a shipwreck, actually. It, not in this. I mean, it is. I'm not calling your album a shipwreck. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it is kind of that story of what it's like to pull out of a shipwreck. Yeah. It starts at the shipwreck. Yeah. That's it's cool. it's funny actually at the same time I wrote that uh that record I also wrote a song called Shipwrecks that may come out in the future. Oh cool. But so I, I really feel like a lot of what's going on with uh, my music and my podcast is kind of um converging and like finding its way into the future, you know. So I want to thank the listeners. Uh we are appreciative of all those who've given us five star reviews that helps people find it. Uh, please share this out because these stories are important. If you have a story you'd like to tell, uh, shoot me an email at jamie, J-A-M-E-Y, at J-A-M-E-Y-B-S-N-Boy.com and uh, let me know about it. And if we can find a way uh, to tell your story, I'd love to. Um, and the last thing, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Oh, uh, If you had to pick a favorite rap song of all time, oh. what would it be? So... I had some years where I really listened to N.W.A. a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I really like Gangsta Gangsta. Yeah? Uh, yeah? Yes, I really do. I really do. But I like a lot of stuff. Sure. So I'm going to say, I'm going to put that down. I'm going to say Gangsta Gangsta. All right. So from, um. from the religious edit lady. There you go. <laughs> Did I mention I was a little different in high school? <laughs> Oh, that is so fantastic. So maybe I can find an edited version? I, I don't know. There is one. Oh, did you not know? They re-released it when they did the movie, and it's oh. all clean. Really? Yeah. And it's really hard to make gang rape clean, but they did it, and I, it's amazing. What happens sometimes is there's just no word. Okay. It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. la da 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 Right. And, you know, so it's like, okay, that's weird. But they did. It's a whole clean version. I'll show you. There's, there's also, uh, and I'll, I think I'll put this right here on the podcast. There's actually a really great little video done by a British guy where he's doing "f the police" with his child in the back seat, but <laughs> he's turning the volume down and he's rapping a different word over it. It's a commercial or something, or maybe it's just a joke for YouTube. I don't know. It's been a while since I watched. That's it. It's awesome. Fantastic. And that's so. my life. My kids hate NWA. <laughs> what day is it today, Jasper? Tuesday. Wrong. It's NWA day. No, no, absolutely not. It's all right, I've got it under control. Help the police coming straight from the underground. A young chap's got it good, because I'm brown. brown.
and not the other color, so police think they have the authority to carry out inquiries. I don't mind, because I ain't the one for an excellent policeman with, with a badge and a gun to be reasonably arresting. And they're lecturing me, it's misogynistic, and you know, whatever, and they, of course, you know, the first time I ever tried to play it with them in the house, I flipped out, because I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Yeah. There's nothing about this that's okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, oh well. Well, let's close out with some gangster rap. You're listening to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. Thanks for joining us. Because I'm the type of brother that's built to last. We had some in the present and some in the past. But I don't really care because I keep belling. Belling. Yo, tell them what they yelling.